This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. What's a number for what the federal government owes Toronto? Olivia Chow's been out. I'm going to give her credit. I really am. Um, Olivia won just last week, and it would have been totally understandable. She's not being sworn in for another nine or ten days. Um... She had just, you know, gone through a long campaign. I know people maybe didn't see her as being as present as some of the other candidates. Maybe there wasn't a need to hustle, bustle, ideas, do this, do that. She did. She was in most of the main debates. That's true. But she's been out there this week and she's done a couple different things. You may have different opinions about the voraciousness and the importance of some of her things. Yesterday, she was out talking about 211. What's 211? Well, that's the number that they want you to call to get to social services instead of 911. That's that's what's that's what the plan is. It's basically it'll help you find support and community services if you're an individual, if you're a family member and a family member is struggling with something, but basically something that's not violent. I've said this for ages, we need to get to the point where we're not sending, you know, you ha- you do have to send um people that are armed to something like a domestic dispute or if someone's waving a knife around or someone's holding someone hostage or there's been a case of domestic violence or you fear there's going to be. You have to call 911 and people have to show up uh, who can defend those who can't defend themselves and also basically take into custody those they may have they may have thought committed a violent crime or are about to. Those are important things. We can't send people. With hor- I'm sorry for the bias here, horned rim glasses and clipboards to those events. But that said, when someone has a mental health issue only and they're not being violent, we shouldn't be sending SWAT teams. What's our balance? What's our happy medium? And 211 would do that. But I'd also bring up that Olivia Chow said the federal government owes us a lot of money here and they're not paying. They're not even paying their fair share. and They're not paying a share. And it was broken down by a group um, called ProgressToronto.ca that because of the refugees and asylum seekers here in Toronto right now, that the you know prime minister and the federal government said, "Come on in." And this is both Roxham Road and this. And by the way, people crossing at Roxham Road eventually find their way to Toronto. Uh, it is the strangest thing. I would say this. You might say this as well. And I've said this countless times. So I'm sorry if I sound like we're dropping the needle. On a, on a broken record here, and I'm going over the same chorus over and over again. I have no idea why anybody would think that someone starting with nothing, nothing coming to this country should live in the most expensive city in this country and try and get off the ground. Does that make any sense whatsoever? It doesn't. So either they don't know any better, they're being told something that isn't accurate about what will be here when they arrive, People do want to come here. I can't. We got our problems and we got our, our bones to pick with each other and, and what Canada is and on and on. But there's people aren't fleeing Canada to go to other countries. They're fleeing other countries to come to Canada. The same as the United Kingdom and France and Germany and Australia and the United States. And it, sometimes it feels like those are the countries that want to rip themselves apart because of Again, important conversations, but something that was done 150 years ago that we shouldn't ignore, but we also shouldn't assail modern day people for something that somebody's great great grandfather did is my point. 
but the number you're looking for is $97 million. I actually thought it would be more, but at least there's a number behind it. Toronto's missing, per this group, $97 million in federal funding to give emergency shelter and housing support for refugees. A ton of money. Each month, 500 families and individuals arrive in Toronto looking to build a new life. Again, would it be easier to build a new life in Charlottetown? I would think so. Edmonton, yes, once you can get there, okay, buy a coat. But I'd also say it's it would be easier almost anywhere else in Ontario than downtown Toronto. I never thought I could live in downtown Toronto. I don't live in downtown Toronto, and I'm not sure I'll ever be able to afford living in downtown Toronto. And I've worked. I've never missed a paycheck since 1997. Some of those paychecks aren't that uh, voluminous with a bunch of zeros at the end for a lot of those years. But I, I, it, it is an expensive city, and there will always be a baseline of costs. So that's the, that's the dollar amount. And that's really significant. And I actually think Olivia Chow, once she's sworn in, is going to push and she's going to battle. And again, we're not going to agree with her on a lot of things. But if she goes hard at the federal government and is basically a bulldog and and considerably tenacious, that's something that even some people said, I'm not sure she'll do it. And I'm not sure she'll be good at it when she actually tries to do it. One from Christian, uh, Christian Freeland. This was two days ago, and we talked about it yesterday on the show, how she was at Rab of Fine Foods, um, and, uh, and people got their grocery benefits in their bank account on Wednesday. That's July the 5th. I get where people... I think this is a Christian Freeland talking thing more than she's proud that 11 million Canadians need help buying groceries. I want you to think about that. We just hit 40 million Canadians. 11 million Canadians can't afford groceries without a little a little financial injection here and there. Here's here's the quote that has a lot of people talking. But I also know that this continues to be a challenging time for many of our friends and neighbors. And that's why I came here today with my friend Julie to announce that the new grocery rebate will be arriving in the bank accounts and mailboxes of 11 million Canadians and Canadian families starting today. Okay. I know that she sounds proud. I know that. And I don't think you can put this on her that she's proud that a bunch of people, like millions of people, can't afford groceries, that food banks have never been more utilized. People with household incomes of 70 and 80 grand are going to food banks. They are. I know some of them. And I know people who know some of them. Okay, so that is happening. And she documented that Canada's global inflation isn't as bad as this country or that country or that country, which is irrelevant to me. I don't care what France's um, inflation is. I don't care what Italy's uh, inflation is. I don't care about any of that. I care. You're not the finance minister of those countries. But also, you could wipe out elements of taxes. You could stop taxing people to death. You could do that. You could limit the carbon tax. You don't have to give a grocery rebate if you take some of the carbon tax back. But then the concept is, well, if we take some of the carbon tax back, people will think we're not as deadly serious about the environment uh, and the carbons as to where everything would go. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Not great. Not at all. Um, And another, you know, black mark, basically, uh, in terms of the TTC the subway, the subway system and violence. And we've had a couple 
I don't know if this will rise to the moment where you found out um, this this um, you know amazing family lost their 16 year old son in March when he was stabbed inside Keel's subway station. Didn't look like a disagreement. Didn't sound like it was anything. Um, they caught the guy that did it, but police said it was an unprovoked attack. But a teenage boy basically bled to death. It's horrifying. And and obviously that was a few months after what we saw before Christmas, which was a group of um, of youth girls stabbing a uh, a homeless person outside a uh, outside a subway uh, station as well. So there have been these moments. And Sheba, what was striking about this moment is obviously there's video involved, so everybody sees it. And it's also at 1230 in the afternoon. Now, it, at 10 o'clock, it's disturbing because people go to places and they go to they go out for dinner and they go to concerts and they go to, to you know soccer and baseball games and they take the TTC. And you should be able to ride it at 10 o'clock, read a book or put your earbuds in or have a conversation on a first date and not worry that the two men are going to start brawling in front of you. But that's basically what happened at lunchtime yesterday on this train. This video is terrifying to me 12 30 in the afternoon coming up to eggling station two men and in the video it's just they start off with push, pushing each other sort of fight, physically fighting they're yelling at each other uh but we don't know the the mm-hmm. audio is turned off so we don't know what they're saying to each other and then all i see is blood start seeping out on one man's shirt the guy's got a white like, t-shirt and you got, can yes. even see it like it, blood's coming yeah through the back of his shirt and then eventually he he realizes he's getting the worst of this because the one man uh, has a knife and he doesn't and he decides to run. And then everybody else around him, there's a lot of shots yes. of I know school is out, so I won't call them like school girls. But there's a lot of young girls about 16, 17, 18 who might have been, you know, just just moving from, you know, going to the, the mall or something who or, or going boy. to a movie. And, but and they, they start running because they're yes. running towards them. The two men. Yes, so they run right by them, and then that entire side of the subway train just starts running to the other side away from them. And these two are still going at it. Yeah, they're still going at it. So this man, in his apparently he's in his thirties. He has multiple stab wounds. He was rushed to a near trauma center. He is stable right now. But as soon as the Eglinton station doors opened, the other man with the knife just ran out and took off. Uh, and to me, that's twelve thirty in the afternoon, Greg. It's, this isn't middle of the night. Yeah. It's This is very, very scary. And of course, it brings up the conversation. What's to be done? How are we going to make this, the, the TTC safer? Really? Who's going to be, who's taking it today? If someone had plans to take the TTC today, you think they're doing that today after this? I don't think so. There's just more discouraging moments. And we've even seen, we've even seen it on, uh, on buses, obviously. Like, like, here's what I'd say. I think a subway train, you feel, you feel whether you're right or not practically that you could move around, that if somebody's bothering you, you could walk to another car. When you're on a bus, you're on a damn bus. And whatever's happening on that bus, you're going to absorb. I know we feel like, I I, we, I think we all have looked around a subway car, Sheba, and thought, um, I'd rather be in another car right now. So you get up and, and you even on a go train, if people have an allowed conversation and I'm bothered by it or annoyed, I can walk up, go upstairs, downstairs, another car, whatever. And the subway at least gives you that option. But in a case like this, they're just I don't know whether if we have anybody that's visible in terms of protecting that that this doesn't break out. But maybe it's stopped much, much earlier by security and officer. Um, uh, I have no idea whether the, if we've got a TTC staff member on these trains 
whether or not that gets discouraged or whether these guys were the, the, the fight happens exactly the same way until somebody pulls the two men apart and then you're taking and, your and life in your hands if you do that. Yeah, that's a good question. That's what I'm wondering. Do they know each other? Is this a, some kind of previous issue? Are they known to each other? Were they? I, I, I have so many questions about this. I know that we're going to be finding out more throughout the morning, hopefully, uh, but I'm this it makes me very nervous it makes me nervous for my kids to take the ttc uh how do you feel about it yeah i mean my first reaction is my son will go to university in like 14 months um and he he's got a lot of interest in the university of toronto he's got a lot of interest in toronto metropolitan um i don't love the the idea of that but i i absolutely do not want to tell him i don't want to make my own kids any more afraid of things than they need to be and so i want to see yes. this as an isolated incident so i want to properly re i want to react i think when you don't react to anything that's bad but i also want to properly react instead of overreact and and i don't see sitting down with mrs brady and going son sorry toronto's too dangerous for you to go to university in because that's a terrible no. message to put on him but that pops into my head once in a while, Sheba. How could it not? I get it. I get it. But I mean, I just, I don't think that should be a deterrent to going to U of T or TMU. I think that Toronto does have some incredible experiences for somebody his mm -hmm. age. So you can't take that away from it. But obviously safety is a concern specifically on the TTC. I mean, look what happened to, I believe his name was Gabriel Magalis. Yeah. Who was just stabbed yeah. sitting there on a Saturday evening. Uh, and passed away. That was that to me. Like, I want to know more about these two men and yesterday's fight. Do they know each other? What the problem was? How it started? Uh, and hopefully we can get that information because that will help me either <laughs> calm down or panic. They've 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 taken a photo of the one of the one man. Um, it's it, very clear as well with the knife. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a slender guy, black man. He loves his Gap sweaters. That seems obvious. Um, but but also, he's the one that had the knife, and the other person did not. And and but, he looks like a regular guy. I'll be honest. If I'm sitting on okay. the subway, like he's he's got he does. He looks like a he doesn't look like you when you see like a, a, a stereotype of somebody who's going to carry a knife around and go stabbing people. He doesn't look like that. He looks like a regular guy who's going to school. He's got some kind of job. He's got a normal backpack on, um, sweats on, uh, just clean cut. I wouldn't even think twice. That, you know, maybe he's listening to music, just waiting for a stop, but he's got a knife on him and he pulls it out. But was he uh, here's what I'm going to I'm going to ask this because uh, like we're acting like this is a manhunt and we're looking for somebody who's like killed nine people. What if he was defending himself now? You, now he's using yeah. a knife. But what if the other person attacked him? What if that yeah. happened? We're, and, and, and then what are we talking about in terms of charges? What are we talking about in terms of a, a conviction? Of course, he's in some trouble. There's no question about it. Of course, he committed a crime. But was it under the guise of self-defense? That would be a really I think you brought up something that Great I haven't point. heard yet, but you brought it up and it's the right thing to ask is, is this somebody that that had a knife that thought I'm out in public? I've I've had some close calls before some scripts. We don't know his history. Um, and it but he was very much on the offensive at one point. Yes. I mean, if you're trying to defend yes. yourself, sure, but you're chasing someone all the way down the subway car holding a knife. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much you're defending yourself. You should be running away or trying to uh, pin the other guy down, get some help. I don't well, know. It doesn't look like he's maybe at the beginning he was. Uh, we do. We have so many. We need more. But it, you know what this makes me also wonder as well? Who around me carries a knife? That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's a giant aluminum baseball bat right beside my door, and I couldn't live in a safer neighborhood. What would I do with it if I had to use it? I don't know, but it's there. I know it's there. 
Okay, so I know it's there. So everybody is going to have something that they think they can protect themselves with. Right. We've talked about bear spray, deer spray, um, mace, like people are told to carry things just in case when they're walking with themselves. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Very pleased to be joined right now in studio by uh, Ward 2 trustee. Uh, for the York Catholic District School Board. He is uh, Marcus D. Domenico, and he's uh, kind enough to come in and visit. And we were going to talk education, a few other issues, but we I was just instantly fascinated because you've had a bit of a media career of your own, and you were on the television show Mr. Dress Up as yeah. a musician. So just What to, a great story. Uh, it was a great honor. Just just one week quick correction. I'm Toronto Catholic. District. What did I say? York. Did I say York? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, yeah, no, yeah. That's TCDSP. Okay. I, I'm not sure. I, I had TCDSP be... in my brain. I have no idea why I said York. <laughs> well, I I did raise a bit of a ruckus about York Catholic. Uh, well, of course, because yes. that's when we. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. the second or third time you came on to talk about the flag now flying. No, no, yeah. I I absolutely thought I said TCDSP. No, no. Sorry about that. Yeah, no. Being on Mr. Dress Up uh, as a. Uh, Children's family musician was. Uh, I got his name right, Mr. You dress got up. his name right. <laughs> dress you know, up one word. <laughs> batting five hundred for the Jays would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, it won't. It won't stay that way. No. <laughs> yeah, the average will slip a little bit. It was great. It was a thrill of a lifetime, and uh, I got to know him a bit, and then on Fred Penner, and then did a bunch of shows for for trios like Tupi and Binu, and all those shows. Oh my gosh! Before, Are you kidding? Before no. entering the world of politics, we were gonna look. We haven't put our youngest as thir- is 15 and we haven't i don't we haven't got him in any kind of therapy yet but during his 2p and binu era we were thinking about it he'd watch that show obsessively well, on I'm the gonna pbr make, i'm gonna make a oh segue. my god i'm gonna make an amazing What's with segue those two here. anyway yeah between york catholic and 2p and binu <laughs> believe it or not okay there is a relationship when i was uh, writing 2p and binu the live shows um they used to get a lot of complaints because 2p would cross-dress much the way Bugs Bunny did, by the way, in my era, would dress up as, as a woman. That's and right. that was just funny and fine. But that was the complaint that show got. Now we can go to your Catholic, where they would be horrified by that, and they would vote against it. Tupi and Bina would not, would not have been a pro-endorsed uh, um, show. By, not by your Catholic. Toronto Catholic were much more uh, open-minded. What and what's uh, one's a cat and one's a mouse, but the mouse is like eight times the size of the cat in the show. Also, yeah, with a, with a, with a red and yellow sweater. And never I'm looking at the, him now. Uh, yeah, Beanie very... never speaks. It's an interesting concept of the show. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, I could talk about that uh, borderline forever. You had um, let's talk, we'll we'll get to pride and and some of the reason. Actually, the first time you came on, you weighed in pretty heavily on the sign for Mother's Day. At right. the one school, so that's when that's, that's right. when we started our conversations. Was yep. um, what was it? The world comes with a uh, doesn't come with a manual. It comes with a mother. Life doesn't come with a manual. Right. It, it comes with a mother. Right. And that was something that the grade uh, sixes, I think, that year at the one school in Beaches East York um, said the eleven year old said, "Come up with a sign for for Mother's Day." So the eleven year olds do that, and everybody's cool with it. The teacher likes it good on the vice principal it obviously passes through a lot of levels of approval it gets out there and some uh person driving by whose kids don't even go to the school raises in essence pardon the phrase um holy hell about it and then next thing you know there's no sign and and the tdsb says well we're backing the mom instead of like we're listening to the one loud right. vociferous right. person here right. instead of allowing our 11 year olds to be yeah. this creative and and be this loving as well as a matter of fact and that irritated you very sad for the children who created that beautiful sign 
that someone can come in and make such a fuss that the children have to have the sign that they created brought down. Interesting, though, Greg, and I wonder why, there were no issues about Father's Day that I ever heard of. First of all, I'm a big believer in the power of moms, okay? My mom, Heck in yeah. my personal life, yeah. was just an amazing, beautiful person, strong woman, and I think she would have found the whole thing completely ridiculous. So, yeah, that is the first time we met and, and talked on air. And uh, I just thought it was such a sad thing for the students. I'm not sure the TDSB, um, I think it was documented that the TDSB didn't even send anything out on their social media about Father's Day. Whereas yeah, Mother's Day was like, hey, you know, just for the people that have uh, chosen not to be mothers, we're here for you also. And I'm like, I'm good with that. That's fine. But on Father's Day, there's like it's just the day passes by, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll maybe well, next year. We can always hope. I'm a father. Very strange. Father and stepfather to seven. Okay. Yeah. So I get my role. My role with my kids. It's I consider it very special. There's lots of ways to be a dad, mm -hmm. and there's lots of ways to support your children. As long as you step up and support and love your children, you can call it a lot of different things. But the idea of the day is to honor the idea of, in the case of Mom's Day, being a mother, and Father's Day, being a father, being that adult role model to help children. And if you people want to drill down that deep, I suggest they get a hobby, because this is doesn't make any sense to me. It's not fair to society to diminish that role publicly. Don't you find, though, Marcus, some people's hobbies now is just driving around and finding something to complain about. It really is. It somehow empowers them. It somehow... It's just nothing that your parents or my parents would have thought to do because you're just you're just on on the treadmill. You could have arguments with your friends and you could debate issues and you can vote the way you want. You can write a letter to the damn editor of the newspaper, but it just didn't feel like we were we didn't have this like bulletin board that everybody could see like social media where you think I know how I can how I can, you know, right. get a get a win here is I'm going to complain about a sign outside of school that 11-year-olds came up with that Again, it's not like if we're talking um, offensive song lyrics, if we're talking about something that's that that would be considered dirty or disrespectful to any demographic, I'm all in for putting a stop to it. That's not what this was. Well, this is the age of narcissism. Oh my gosh! Where our opinion and victimhood must be, must be felt followed. And my father wrote exactly one letter to the editor that I remember. <laughs> they arrived in Canada from England. My father was Maltese. He wrote a letter back to the Times of Malta saying. We have landed in Canada. It's the land of milk and honey. Get over here as quickly as you can. And you know what? They put up lots of Maltese immigrants to Canada in their little walk-up apartment because mm. they loved Canada. That was the one letter. Now, look at the difference between those two kinds of letters. One is, uh, you know, like, hey, you must follow what I think or there's something wrong with you. And institutions always have a problem with that. They, they're afraid of a couple voices. And then you have a new Canadian saying, wow, fantastic country. And I think that's why I'm such a patriot, is that my parents came here with nothing. Like, like the, the traditional immigrant story. 50 bucks in their pocket. Red Cross gave them a coffee at the, at the airport. They actually flew in, believe it or not, or not, in 47. And they grew immediately to love this country. And that was the one letter that they wrote. It was a positive letter. Mm. I think I... I, I I find that there's that juxtapose that we're just stuck in in society right now where 
where we want to, um, we, we have to, you know, look, of course, we got to look into our past better than we used to. We got to talk about things that we didn't get right. Some of that is racism, um, you know, discrimination about gender, discrimination about sex, residential schools. I, I don't I, like none of that is meant to be flippantly pushing it aside. It all needs to be discussed. But I still find we're the country. And, and by the way, some of these other countries that just seem to self-flagellate themselves, they're the countries everybody else wants to come to. Not not necessarily even because of of anything other than independence, freedom, be who you want to be, go for the career you want. Women are treated equally. People who are gay are treated equally. And you can love who you want to love, be who you want to be. And and people, I just think we wallop ourselves over the head sometimes with criticizing who we are when when we can just tweak it. Other other people want to come to our country and be Canadian. It's usually well, not the other way around. That's because we're so successful, though, because we have the time to take those measures and look. I think the country should look at itself, but not in terms of a presentism where we judge everything that happened in the 1800s by our morality today. Because I'll tell you, in 50 years from now, we will be judged by people saying we were absolutely wrong on many issues that we might consider normal. So we should appreciate the country, our country... I mean, I fly the flag, mm -hmm. uh, but we should also be reflective, but it's very difficult to judge anybody by a standard of today when in a society that they lived in 150 years ago. It's amazing you say that because um, I don't think I shared it with you, but I know I mentioned it, especially two years ago when it came up. I'm sitting on my parents' front lawn. They both taught. My dad was a history economics teacher. He was just dialed in and connected, and they both basically said it's about two months after a lot of the information about residential schools is is getting into the mainstream. And he's like, we can't believe how naive we were to this. Like, not naive on purpose also, which we can sometimes be, but they just missed it. They had no idea. And they feel really bad. They had no idea what was going on around them. And there's, I've talked to a ton of educators who were born in the 40s, born in the 50s, either now retired or coming close to the, to the end of their careers. And they're like, we have no idea how under the radar this was. And it, it, it bothers us. Like, they think about it. It keeps them up yeah. at night. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the Catholic Board, we're very much in tune with the wrongs of the past yeah. and our relationship to Indigenous people. Um, and I think that you need to learn from the mistakes. Yes, society did just let that go right by. And it was a truly horrible thing that happened to children, especially in residential schools, the Catholic Church was involved in that, but we, as a, as a society, as a Catholic society community, uh, work to build bridges again to admit the fault that we had and to work together in collaboration with Indigenous people. I brought uh, groups into into mm -hmm. my ward doing smudging ceremonies and other, so that the children understand this culture is very different than the one that they're growing up in, and we need mm. to find a way to understand it and really truly appreciate and learn from it. Bunch of time left with uh, Marcus T. Domenico uh, from the Toronto Catholic District, District School Board. Let's just talk about the normalcy of the year from September 22 to uh, June of 23. This just had to feel good. Field trips again, sports again. Um, there was never a, a dispute about what should be done and what should not be done. I understand there was a point in time, especially 2020, I'd even argue towards the end of the calendar year of 20, right before anybody was vaccinated. Um, but I, I just think it's just so joyous. We had, in essence, an uninterrupted eight months, 10 months 
for schools to operate. Yeah. What what did you view? Uh, exactly the same, actually. I was so relieved that this year that they were playing sports, that they were going to class. These kind of developmental times for children are super important. They learn how to develop relationships. I mean, our society has gone away with social media, that that has been taken away in some cases, and their opportunity to put the phone down or to get away from the screen was at school. And then they were all sent home. And I personally don't believe we'll ever get, you know, short of uh, some incredibly horrible thing, I don't believe we'll ever lock down society again like that. I don't think so. It was so devastating to children, to business, to families, to everyone, uh, you know, emotionally and in their development. Do you think that because of the effects of it, or do you think we won't ever get people to comply, if you will, and I, I know that's a negative word, that, that we'll just we'll play along for as long as we play along. Because I'm like, I was happy to, I, I, no one was playing along harder than me for the first 10 to 11 yeah. months. I'm like, this is bad. This is scary. You're worried about your parents. You're worried about vulnerable people. Then you're looking around going, I've got my two shots and and they told us this would happen and then that would happen and this would happen and that would happen. And then now we're 26 months in. Right. Can I take my mask off at a grocery store now? Right. Like that's so what we'd ask ourselves. The shot is the key though. That yeah. was the turning point in society where we could get vaccinated. Something that had never happened before in history, by the way, <laughs> that the vaccination was created that quickly. Uh, that changed the whole game. Up to that point, we were all very vulnerable. We were all very scared because nobody knew the real story I mean, I remember having groceries delivered and being told to spray them outside on the porch. I know. I look back and I think, oh my goodness, why? But at the time, it seemed so uh, correct because public health was telling us, be wary of this. Or disinfect your mail that you were getting from Canada Post. Or wear gloves to put gas in your tank. And as a trustee, I mean, I came in in 18. Who knew anything about this? We weren't, I wasn't elected for that. But we learned quickly, uh, listen to one source. In our case, in my case, I picked Toronto Public Health. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to learn off Facebook, for goodness sake, or Twitter, God love them, about how to deal with infectious diseases. It's, it's, that's an area of discussion. I need an area of professional advice. And I think you pick one that's very reliable and you, you stick with it as long as possible. Um, the Catholic school system, some people have uh, have seen it's obviously had some evolution at times. There's still arguments strongly for it um, being publicly funded. There's some people that will always say, um, why is it publicly funded um, and should we abolish it? What where do you where do you land on on that debate? And you obviously have probably, I'm sure, animated conversations about the pros, the cons, the, you know, the, the yeah. good, the bad. Well, I had a neighbor the other day who I was, is very much not in favor of the Catholic system. He's okay. a good fellow. Uh, and we had a, an animated discussion. The, the, this is how it works. It is an absolutely excellent example of why Canada is Canada. Because I'm going to go back to the Constitution. Why do we have publicly funded Catholic education in Ontario? And why did they have Protestant funded Catholic education in Quebec? because of minority rights. It's very Canadian to protect the minority. Now, you know, Catholics have now become a very strong, over the 160-some years, uh, force in Ontario. So why is it still publicly funded? Because it's a very successful faith-based system, and the you know, it's guaranteed in the Constitution. So if, if some political party wants to take that on and say, we're taking away your constitutional right to be publicly funded, I think they're going to have a heck of a fight because I'm going to be 
first in line to say, we have a great system. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're still publicly funded and we should be, but we're a successfully publicly funded Catholic system. Why would you want to, you know, throw us all into one basket? I kind of relate it to, I live in Etobicoke. Why did the GTA get created? Is it the success that we think it is? Yeah. Are our values and our ways of doing things in Etobicoke the same as downtown Toronto, the same as Scarborough? No, they're not. There's an identity there. In the case of publicly funded Catholic education, the identity is that we have a faith-based system with slightly, well, certainly different value systems than some of the others, but ultimately we deliver the curriculum coming from the ministry just through the lens of Christ. That's the difference. Um, you were very um, adamant, and uh, and and you know you you found it very important to talk about getting in early um, for the board and, and flying the pride flag in June um, to show that you supported inclusion, you supported acceptance, and I think we all look at each other and go, well, that person's you know lifestyle, that person's choices, that person's biology, and that person's desires may not match mine. But I never want to get in the way of him or her doing what they want to do. That strikes me as the essence of of where you're at. And and obviously it's frustrated you that not every board has has shown that level of inclusion. Well, York Catholic, as you mentioned off the top, that's that's been a big problem. I mean, at the Catholic board, we we are faith-based and we follow our our faith. So our faith says to accept and to love. Jesus didn't say, oh, I like you, but I don't like you. If you were badly behaved, yeah, sure, there, there are rules to follow. But the fact if someone is who they are, and they come into our school as a student, they need to be loved and welcomed and accepted for who they are. Mm -hmm. That is such a basic idea that I'm completely mystified by York Catholic, because I was going to go up there and delegate, and, and they shut down all delegations, and they, they had this debate so-called debate, and basically shut down the idea of the flag. Well, That's the one that was pretty ugly in the hallway. There's very, people shouting I mean, at each other and video, everybody's videotaping each other and all that. Shocking, yeah. bad behavior, uh, and and I find it hard when people are getting red in the face and, and spitting mad and telling me that they're, they're the true believers. I, I find that odd and ironic. But anyway, them aside, at Toronto Catholic... We did fight that battle in 21, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a flag that represents acceptance of people as they, who they are. That's it. Our curriculum didn't change. Nothing changed in the meantime, except that the boys and girls learned that we love each other as we are. And how wonderful a message that is. To, I, to, to impart to children. I only got a minute here, but has, only, has any curriculum gotten tweaked in the last, let's say, decade to you know, scrub out something that that didn't feel accepting or inclusive. Anything where you're like, ah, this could be misinterpreted, or ah, uh, you know, they're they're obviously, you know, we often hear that old phrase. It's I often hear it. Hey, it's uh, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That kind of stuff. Like, is right. there anything you see that can just get co-opted by the wrong people for the wrong things? Well, yeah, be discriminatory? There's, there's, there's quite a lot, actually. Um, <laughs> but what happens in the classroom is directed by the teacher and directed by the curriculum from the ministry. Um, the ministry is also very, uh, put it out to all the boards, Catholic boards included, that we must follow the Ontario Human Rights Code. And to me, that was a slam dunk, makes perfect sense. Uh, to others, it was like uh, the end of the world somehow. Funny enough, after we passed that in 2019 about the 
human rights, the world did not end. No. In fact, it got better. <laughs> so, you know, get over it and uh, uh, come out of the 50s. Yeah. Um, I wish we had so much more time, Marcus, but I appreciate you coming in. Um, I'm obviously fascinated and, and education's a passion of mine. I, I, I'd feel that way. I'll feel the way long after my kids are... Uh, are out of the system and out of the damn house and making their own money and and, <laughs> you'll and, miss them, and not Greg. asking me for no no you'll miss them when it, they ask for sixty bucks to go to a movie now I used to ask for eight I don't get it so anyway it's not just inflation I can't thank you enough for coming in thanks Greg uh, such a pleasure there's Toronto Catholic District School Board Trustee Marcus D Domenico joining us this is Toronto today with Greg Brady Toronto's news today's talk six forty Toronto out in movies this weekend is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. And uh, it's uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, which means there's going to be a couple different parts. And after basically saving movies, Shiva, last year, Tom Cruise with Top Gun Maverick back with a new film, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I'm going to tell you, I remember the night I went to see the first Mission Impossible in like 1996 at the theater. And it's not like Tom, like, like you don't know whether somebody's going to be around 27 years later and be a huge star. But you're just like, that's been a good 15 years for Tom Cruise. Like, you're not sure he'll be a movie star for like 40 years, but he has been. Oh, he but this is very intentional on his part, right? He's not he's the biggest movie star in the world, I would say. Yeah. And he's phenomenal at it. We saw that. He's his. Sure. He's not going to play a romantic lead in a chick flick. I don't see him doing that kind of thing, but anything action adventure, he's there and he brings it. And the fact that he does his own stunts and he's got the longevity of it and he's not up on stage slapping somebody to ruin his career. He knows, <laughs> he knows how to play the game. Well, you say that because at one point I think Will Smith was the biggest movie star in the world. At one or, point, I think that Will he was, Smith, I think everybody loved him. He would have had no, the most universal. I, don't think so. I think at one point he was the most universally approved movie star that we had. I do. More than like I, Harrison Ford or Tom Cruise. I think he was Cruise. always second. So he t- Will Smith, whoever that is, he talks oh about goodness. this in his he talks about this in his book, and he talks about how he his goal was to surpass Tom Cruise. He said the mm. biggest movie star in the world was Tom Cruise, uh, and Tom is so good with people, with connecting, with going places all over the world globally, and you know getting in with the crowd and the fans. And so he he took that and he became a little bit more specific with it, but. In some ways, Tom Cruise was his mentor, but you don't see Tom. Tom Cruise is not messing up his career like that. He's very strategic, I find. He's and he keeps people very close to him. I think his sister was his manager for the longest time. Yeah, and he has a he has a lot to say on Toronto, doesn't he? He does. He does. Well, and and remember, you know, if, if he's sitting in the front row, nominated ever again for Best Actor award, and, and Chris Rock is making a joke about Katie Holmes, he's not going or Nicole Kidman. He's not going up, but Nicole Kidman's more likely to slap uh, Chris Rock than Tom Cruise is. <laughs> Um, this was from yesterday. So Cruz is doing publicity for the movie, and he sat down with eTalk, uh, with a, a reporter on eTalk, and um, and basically, yeah, he's ingratiated himself more into the city of Toronto. He hasn't been anti-Toronto, but he's basically saying exactly what we're all saying. Toronto traffic stinks. Here's the clip. I have done that challenge, okay? <laughs> and I've been in that traffic, all right? I've made movies in Toronto, and I've visited Toronto. I have friends in Toronto. Yeah. What's up with the traffic in Toronto? I don't know. Have they figured this out? Have no. They... Wow. <laughs> I love that he uses um, he uses the the t, the, the T isn't silent in Toronto. Toronto. Because I notice Toronto. I do that sometimes, and people are like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "There's two T's in the word. I'm not going to pretend there aren't." Do you? I, I do. I don't think you pronounce it. No, I think I call it Toronto. You... 
No, you no. don't. I say Toronto. I, I, the mayor of Toronto is Olivia Chow. How have you not noticed this? You don't say it's with such a hard... It's not quite the Don Cherry Toronto. I don't quite no, do no, that. No, 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 no. There's a happy medium between the two. Having heard you say it a few times now, the second T is slightly silent. You it's do not say a, it. Yeah, Cruz is a little harsher on the second yeah. T than, uh, than I am. Um, did you know, do you know what movie he filmed here? And I never would have known this in a million trillion years. He's only filmed the one movie here. So he's a slight what? exaggeration what? saying he's filmed movies here. Is do you that, know which one it is? Is that the one where he, he played the bad guy with, um, he had blonde hair? He was, no, no. Oh, oh, you're, t um, the one collateral with Jamie yes. Foxx. No. The oh. taxi driver. No, no. that wasn't here. Oh. Cocktail. Oh, right. No, he but didn't. I had, yes. Sheba, no, I, no, I had no, no idea. Shut up. I know every single line of that I, movie. And you're learning. You're kidding I, me. I learned for the first. That's a 1988 movie, and he's he's coming right off of Rain Man. I think he, no, no, sorry. He made it right before Rain Man, and right after it was not right after Top Gun, but he makes that in '88. Huge soundtrack, right? Like Kokomo's on there, big hit. It's a terrible song. Somehow John Stamos was in so the, the Beach New Boys York, for like a minute or two. All the, the New, New York, York stuff, City Toronto scenes. No, you got way. it. I I I'm never knew that either. Rewatching that. I'm rewatching it this weekend. <laughs> And so if he's complaining about Toronto, Toronto traffic from, I hope it's not from the cocktail days because then we haven't moved far at all. Traffic was terrible here in 1988. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I love it. I love, I love that he's, he's, he's calling it out. Right. And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to come here. That's what he's telling Sonia Mangut from eTalk is that, you know what? There's way too much traffic there. It's just not my, my thing. But he's also like, where does he live? I think he lives in LA. Yeah. So come on, LA traffic, that's a whole other thing. But Olivia Chow did have something to say. She did have a response for Tom Cruise comment as well. Here it is. What Tom Cruise says is always right, right? <laughs> Maybe you can get into a car and, you know, do those maneuvers. I see it in the in, in movies. But traffic is a problem. It echoes what the report we saw from the Board of Trade yesterday to say that uh our public transit system could be so much better, be more reliable. If we have better public transit system, we would have better traffic. So I got two things for you on that. Um, so Cocktails Film Location, the Reggae Club in Jamaica, because they obviously did some filming on the beach in Jamaica, is yes. Lee's Palace on Blur Street. Where, no. where Yeah, it is. And um, where he, he enrolls in a business course at something called yes. City College, and yeah. that's Knox College at U of T. He runs right up the steps. <gasps> My campus. That's, no way. I'm telling you. I wouldn't. But I, Sheba, I, you've seen Cocktail more than me then. I've probably seen it twice. It's never on TV again. It's not one of those AMC, Caddyshack, Shawshank, Jaws movies, which oh. feels like it's on all the time. Yeah. No. But when Cocktail's you know on, I, I do watch probably half an hour, 40 minutes. And I never I knew before yesterday thing. it was Toronto. Yeah, I'm, I need to rewatch this. Remember that your sexy little smile is not going to work this time. Elizabeth Shue with him. No, oh, I, I know. Gordon, I didn't know who you were saying that to. We didn't know that was a line from them. <laughs> Jeez, heavens. Let's go. Um, no, I was way too young. It was, I was way too young when that movie came out, and I must have watched it when my parents weren't around, and that's why it stuck with me. I was like, oh, this is how it works. Also, my, my girl, Nicole Kidman, filmed To Die For here. So Tom was up here watching her film that with Matt Dillon, and wa remember Joaquin Phoenix is the kid in the school, and yeah. that's probably the first movie I remember seeing Casey Affleck in, so... Um, again, you you and I agree that Nicole Kidman should probably have seven Academy Awards by now and five Emmy Awards and six Tony Awards because she's just the greatest 
ever. Like Mara, no. M- what's her name? M- Muriel Streep. I've uh, like, <laughs> come on, give me a break. I don't know. I wouldn't recognize her from her from Days of Thunder. Glenn Close and Muriel Streep can't hold a candle uh, to Nicole K. Please.